hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. In 2016, my friend, Brady Ulrich, was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. Brady had been one of my seminary students when I taught. Brady would later learn that this and multiple heart problems was caused by a gene mutation. His heart was functioning at a mere 20% of capacity. This is 2016. Initially, after consultation with the doctors, the treatment plan looked promising. With medications and other things, the doctors felt that his heart could be strengthened and he could live more or less a long and normal life with just a few side effects. The good news, Brady said, it worked for two years. He said his heart even got up to about 40% capacity. And then one night, everything crashed. A late night trip to the emergency room revealed that Brady was in end-stage heart failure. His heart was functioning at less than 10%. For three days, Brady slipped in and out of consciousness. When he was finally stable enough, he was life-flighted to Salt Lake City for emergency surgery. On September 11, 2018, a partial artificial heart was installed to run the left side of his heart. Surgery was very difficult. Brady was kept in a coma for several days to save his life, but the surgery proved successful and gave Brady needed time. He was added to the list for a heart transplant. For the next seven months, Brady was in and out of the hospital multiple times a week. He waited. And then, on Easter Sunday, 2019, he received a most wonderful phone call. They had found a heart. Brady records, quote, What an amazing and meaningful time for me as I pondered what it meant to be born again. I reflected on my Savior's resurrection. I pondered scripture about having a change of heart. As I was about to have my stony heart removed and have a new heart put in me. It was during this time that Brady experienced a remarkable recurring dream. Five or six times he had this dream. In it, he found himself inside a large football stadium packed with tens of thousands of people, only a few of whom he recognized. Everyone in the stadium was cheering for him. Everyone was holding up a sign that read, we're praying for you, Brady, or other similar messages of encouragement. At this stunning sight, Brady reflected, quote, 
It was then that I realized I had been so sick and under medical comas, etc., that several times I physically could not pray for myself. I literally had thousands of people praying for me, including family members, friends, acquaintances, and people I didn't even know. I thought of all the prayer rolls in the temple alone, as well as how hard my family worked to ask for prayers on social media. End of quote. The transplant surgery lasted 13 hours approximately and went well. Brady said when they finally woke him up, he had a hard time sleeping. His new heart was so loud that it felt like it was going to beat right out of his chest. He had never felt or heard his heart beat like that. Today, Brady is healthier than he has ever been for a very long time. He draws this powerful conclusion to this story. Quote, We have the power to call down the blessings of heaven and pray for others and do something for them that they are incapable of doing for themselves. And then he said, this principle applies to more than just people in a coma. There are many among us who, for several different reasons that we may not understand, lack the spiritual or mental or physical capacity to pray because of trials and hardships in their lives. End of quote. Indeed, the Apostle James was right. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Thank you, Brady, for sharing that story. I am reminded of something that the prophet Joseph said. I paraphrase. Any man who has a friend in time and eternity can receive a measure of salvation. I don't know how to say this, but imagine the power of this prayer. Heavenly Father, Please bless my friend, Will. He is struggling. He's having a hard time grieving at his loss. Please comfort and strengthen him. He is my friend. This next story is called Storm on the Golconda. In January 1853, some 400 members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints were sailing from England to Zion. At one point in the Caribbean, the ship, the Golconda, a sailing ship, was calmed due to a lack of wind. Well, to ease the boredom, the saints gathered on the quarterdeck for a dance. Among them, Claudius Victor Spencer. 29 years old, as I calculate it, he was returning from service as a missionary in Europe. Claudius records the following in his diary, quote, It was a warm, sunshiny day, and we were a very merry party. But in the midst of our merriment, a restless, gloomy, foreboding influence took a strong hold of me, so much so that I left the party and went by myself, 
and asked the Lord to tell me what it meant. And if it was not a warning, to take the feeling away. But it increased. After a little season, I lifted my hat and said, Father in heaven, if trouble is imminent, let peace come to me when I state to the captain to take in sail. And then Claudia says, I had not taken five steps until I knew I was going right. I found the captain sitting by the helmsman and told him I wanted him to excuse a cowardly landlubber and take in some sail. He jumped to his feet and asked, Who's running this ship, him or me? I answered, You're running the ship, Claudia said, but I am looking after the people. At that... <laughs> Claudia says, the captain grabbed his speaking trumpet, hollered to the mate in the forecastle, forecastle, I can't say that word, crack up two more sails, quickly. At that time, we had over 200 saints on the main deck, some singing, some sewing, enjoying themselves the best they could, and a large number of us dancers on the quarter deck. There was not wind enough to fill a sail, not a cloud to intimate a storm when the captain gave the order to the mate. I told those around me to get below the deck as quick as you can. There's trouble coming. They all started except Mrs. Hannah Tapfield King, strong-minded woman, new in the work, not used to peremptory orders. I had to personally press her to move. She was the last one to go, and her feet were on the bottom step of the stairs when the first mast fell, just grazing her head. In the meantime, I had jumped from the quarterdeck and run to midships and ordered every man, woman, and child to wait for nothing but get below in a hurry. In ten minutes, every mast was torn out of the ship. We'd been struck by a spent hurricane off from the islands without any earthly warning. If our people had remained above deck, it would have been a terrible scene of suffering. The next morning when I met the captain, he had tears streaming from his eyes. He asked, What does this mean? I told him, it meant God was gathering Israel in the last days and sent his servants with them to care for them. To which the captain said, Mr. Spencer, you can run this ship to New Orleans. And then Claudius concludes, He used to come regularly, day by day, and ask me if everything was right or if I had any suggestion to make. End of quote. What a remarkable story. But here's the rest of it, perhaps part that you've never heard before. This is the same missionary who, according to his autobiography, was once called the Little Mormon. At the April 1850 General Conference, now that's three years before the story I just told you, Claudius had a presentiment, if you will, that he might be called to serve as a missionary. And so, he didn't go to conference. He stayed away until the last afternoon of the last session. 
His thinking was that if he wasn't seen, if he wasn't there, he wouldn't be remembered. He went up to the door, pressed it open about two inches, just in time to hear the man on the stand say, it is moved and seconded that Claudius Victor Spencer go on a mission to Europe. Claudius says that he, he turned away as though shot, walked down Main Street saying to myself, can it be possible those men have any inspiration to call such a stick for a missionary? Claudius Victor Spencer put himself together and with remarkable courage and determination served faithfully. The storm on the Golconda happened on his way home. It comes from the Diary of Claudius Victor Spencer, available at Family Search. From the moment this earth was formed, it was known that man would make mistakes. This man. It was no surprise that all of us, and especially me, would break eternal laws and fall short of heavenly glory. Thus, a loving father sent his firstborn son to this earth with an endowment of power and a mission to save us all. For centuries, the faithful brought their lambs to the holy place and killed them by shedding their lifeblood. The knife in their hands and the blood shed upon the ground was a vivid reminder that someday a damned and helpless humanity would shed the lifeblood of the Son of Almighty God. Christ's blood bought us like money in a purchase. He redeemed us. The ownership of our souls passed from the devil of hell to the deliverer of heaven. We are his bought with an infinite price. Is it any wonder that we are continually reminded to remember his offering, his blood and body? But oh, how easy it is to neglect, to forget, to get distracted, especially when the image of blood and suffering is not before our eyes or in our personal memory. It's in that light I'd like to share a story from some years back. One day I was trying to put a block of wood in our wood-burning stove. It slipped, and this heavy block of wood smashed my thumb. It wasn't one of those minor smashes. It was one of those kind that turned the whole thumbnail black. The nail turned instantly and completely purple and it hurt. Oh, mama, did it hurt. The day wore on, and the pain of my mistake intensified. As you probably have experienced, pressure built up under the nail until the pain drove me to distraction. Finally, I took a knife and drove it under the fingernail to relieve the pressure. Off and on, for the next 36 hours, I tended to the wounded thumb. Then came Sunday morning. 
I went to church, and I more or less forgot about the wounded thumb. We're sitting in church. The congregation began to sing a familiar hymn. My wife opened the hymn book and handed it to me. I sang about half of the first verse when I happened to glance down at the book. I was shocked to see the brilliant red of my blood on the stark white of the page. My thumb, again. Embarrassed, I quickly tried to clean it off. And suddenly I became aware of the words that the congregation was singing at that moment. I trembled to know that for me he was crucified, that for me a sinner he suffered, he bled and died. The hymn was, I Stand All Amazed. I stopped singing and looked at the blood on the page. The impression in my mind, too vivid for words. Now, I don't know what to make of this experience, but this much I know. The atonement of Christ really happened. His blood was shed to save us from a fate worse than death. My blood on that page was only a few painful drops. By comparison, his blood shed was a torrent. My blood was the result of my own foolishness. His blood heals the wounds of my foolishness. My blood stained the page. His blood washes and cleanses all of our stains. My blood and pain were only a moment. His blood and pain touched the infinite and the eternal. By the grace of God, may I, may we, never, never forget the significance of his atoning blood. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.